I feel like you're going to regret this. No, I won't regret it. Erica, <laughs> what are you drinking? Um, well, Jared, I was going to tell Kristen that um, I started drinking like plant-based milk um, instead of cow's milk because it helps my bowel movements. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I do regret you asking this or me asking this question. This is my fault. Let's be clear. You wouldn't let me answer it before you started recording. <laughs> I feel like I knew when she said that we were going to regret it, that that was exactly what it was going to be about. Well, yeah. Kristen did say she misses this the most about the culture at HQ, so. Kristen was being funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jared, what are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking. Also, I, hold on. Can I just say how disgusting plant-based milk sounds? But it like, actually tastes really good. What do you, if, What do you mean when you say plant-based milk, though? Like that could be a does lot. Does it of taste things. like milk, or does it taste it, like it, grass? It's a little bit sweeter than milk. It's made from. Um, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> it's made from like green proteins and it tastes like kind of sweet but kind of like milk and it is a little bit of a brownish color or like a tan color <laughs> but it's way better than almond milk and I think that it's easier to drink than coconut milk because coconut milk is like kind of thick to me. I think I calling it milk at all is an insult to dairy farmers. Probably but that's what And to milk. And to milk. <laughs> And I What'd you say? I don't even like milk. I do like milk, but it hurts me. Um, but... Yeah, so, so I'm drinking uh, an iced coffee with almond juice. Almond juice? Not almond milk. Cause it's... No. <laughs> <laughs> almond juice. Almond juice. I'm drinking pea protein juice. <laughs> That's so much more um, um, considerate of dairy farmers, I feel like. What are you drinking over there? Anything, Kristen? Uh, Diet Coke, y'all. I mean, I figured I just needed the record to be set. Um, I got groceries delivered yesterday, and they delivered, like, two gallons of vitamin D milk and then a gallon of um, lactose-free milk. And I, milk and I are not friends mm -hmm. because I think it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I just, yeah, so now there's milk in my fridge that is um, weird. What about ice cream? Do you like ice cream? Jason will drink it. I. I, yeah, I like dairy. Dairy is fine. I just don't like milk. Mm. It's just, yeah, I'm not a fan. Sure. Every now and then chocolate milk will be okay. Mm -hmm. But. I love chocolate milk. Well, you know, milk's popularity is trending downward. Yeah, because it's weird. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably why. <laughs> We don't need to talk about like why milk is turning downward. It's just weird. Yeah. It is weird. <laughs> um, 
maybe the uh, maybe the rest of the responses to the questions that we're gonna answer today will be that simple. It's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah. Also, I feel like none of the other podcasters I listen to have dogs who bark at um, the mailman. Well. On their podcasts. Maybe they don't do their podcast from their living room. They all do it from their living room right now. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Just saying. Well, I'm, the, I'm the asshole with the screaming dogs, so sorry, everybody. <laughs> there will be like a, an entire podcast montage of the dogs of podcasts who, yeah. are, now, who are now famous. Mm-hmm. How many people do you think started podcasts during COVID? And how many will survive COVID? Not like people, I guess. Yeah, that's a hard question. <laughs> what, I, what I mean is how many podcasts will live beyond COVID? Oh, that's a, okay. I was like, what are we talking about? Shut dark real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, I realized why the dogs didn't interrupt our first podcast. Uh, because the puppy was at daycare because we did it in the afternoon rather mm-hmm. than the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's playing now. Um, I Perfect. Don't know how to answer those questions, but I feel like we will, our podcast will survive the pandemic because it was not born in the pandemic. <laughs> the idea was born long before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get to our, our questions um, outside of dairy products and puppies. Okay. I think the first question um, is important and one that like everyone probably has a little bit of a different uh, approach to, but it's how do you effectively juggle calls? And call juggling is something that is like a, an important skill at headquarters because oftentimes you're the only person on shift or you're only there with one other person. Mm-hmm. So, how how have you effectively done it in the past, um, and what what would you encourage volunteers who are learning how to do how, how to juggle calls? What would you encourage them to do? I feel like that's a that's a hard question. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna let somebody else answer because there's mad chaos at my house right now. <laughs> so, you guys talk about it, and then I'll jump in and tell you whether you're right or wrong. No, I'm kidding. I'll, I mean, just, yes. <laughs> I'll just add to it. Okay. The, um, duck, the squeaky duck in the background. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so I guess this isn't, okay. Yeah, this is hard. Um, something that I do is, um, it depends on who I'm talking to and what the situation is. So Um, I think that a lot of our frequent callers are aware that sometimes we will have to say like, hey, can you hang on? There's another call coming in or even go ahead and end the the call that we're on with the frequent caller to pick up a new call. Um, I feel like they're pretty used to that and are respectful of those um, needs. But if it's if it's not a frequent caller that I'm on the phone with, and I'm in the middle of like a crisis call where someone is actively suicidal or in danger, um, I probably wouldn't juggle the call. I would probably 
just go ahead and continue with what I'm doing. So it's a matter of like, how safe is it to ask this person to be put on hold? Um, and, and then how can I triage the incoming call if I do put this person on hold um, to see what the level of severity is? So you have to take that risk of like, okay, there's a very real possibility that this next call is going to be a high level of severity which means that I might have to end this call that I'm currently on if I answer the next call. Is that something that I could do, realistically do at this point in the call that I'm currently on? Um, does that make sense? Like, am yeah. I in the least? I mean, it, it, it seems like you're, you're speaking to like the, the, the judgment that's happening and in I real mean, time. Yeah. And it's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of um, decision-making colliding at once. Yeah. And, and then on, like 10 seconds because you don't have very long to decide whether or not to answer the next call. <laughs> right, right. Right now we have about 60 seconds to decide if we're going to take, and, and that's just calls, I think, ringing in through the NSPL. We have about 60 seconds to decide if we're going to pick up that call, mm -hmm. um, which is not very much time to like. It's also a recent change. They added time. Yeah, that seems, that seems new because I yeah. don't think that that's been true always. It, it, I think it used to be about 30 seconds. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, somebody in the call room said that they thought that people were hanging up um, before we got to the full minute of rings, which makes sense. It is a long time to sit on the phone for a minute. Yeah. Um, that said, I think a minute gives us more time to decide, mm -hmm. but in the, in the middle of a call, it's harder to do yeah. it. Um, yeah. And you like, you have to decide relatively like, I mean, pretty quickly because then you have to like take action. Right. So like the decision-making process happens before you even say, Hey, can you hang on a second? Or I'm getting another call. I'll be right back. Or, um, I'm going to have to end this call because I'm getting another call. Like there's still an intervention that has to take place, like a closing or a pause that has to take place after the, after you've made the decision to answer it, mm -hmm. which you know, people have responses to that. <laughs> like that, that also takes time. So I think it can be really stressful. Yeah, it for sure can be really stressful. I think my broken record thing is that we should be taking the majority of the calls that ring in. Mm -hmm. um, that unless we are like, truly worried about the safety of the person that we're talking to um, and that we don't feel like there's any way to put them on hold mm -hmm. because that safety is at risk, mm -hmm. then we should be taking the majority of the calls. Um, we are, right now, we have a grant um, that started in October, started in November. Um, where we, our goal is to get our answer rate up between 70 and 80%. Mm -hmm. Our answer rate last week, I think, was 58%. It's not bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not bad. And, like, I think we, we get to a place where, like, crap, we're, you know, taking just a little bit more than half of the calls from Kansas. Yeah. And, like, when you're thinking about each of those calls, you want to be the center that handles those calls. Yeah, for you sure. You want to be the center that provides that support. Mm -hmm. um, it's also important like to understand that figure in context, right? Like 
we're one center covering the whole state. The, the whole majority, state, yeah. The majority of the state. And when we compare ourselves to other centers, not, not that, that we should lower our standards by any means, but when we compare ourselves to other centers, we're sitting in the middle of the pack. You know, other centers are experiencing the same capacity issues that we're experiencing, which is why, you know, they're issuing funding to increase that capacity. Yeah. Yeah, the rollover centers, um, the centers that take the rollover calls. So typically what happens is that the call comes to us and it rings and if we don't answer, then it rolls over to the nearest center. And if they don't answer, then it rolls over to the, the rollover center, um, which takes calls from all over the country. Mm -hmm. And there can be a pretty intense wait time with that center, with those rollover centers. Um, and so if there's a way to triage calls for us, mm -hmm. then it's, yeah, then it's important that we do that. That said, learning to juggle calls is an art, like you said, Erica, <laughs> you know, like um, being able to, and I think that one of the most important things is not to pose it as a question. Um, like we, if possible, saying up front, like the phones have been busy today and so I may need to let you go or to put you on hold so that I can check other calls. I do wanna to talk to you, that's really important to me, but I also need to like check in on other people. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you're not going to necessarily say that if the per if you answer the phone and the person is sobbing, right? Yeah. Like, just hold on, stop crying for a second while I tell you this thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, if we can get that up front, especially if the person like comes out and says, "I'm calling, but I'm not suicidal," mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and Which then yeah, and then being able to say, "Cool, I'm." I really want to talk to you about whatever's going on and mm -hmm. um, the, the phones have been busy mm -hmm. and I, I think it's better to say, well, I know it's better to say that the phones are busy um, rather than to say I'm here by myself. Yeah. Um, so. I, I think it's important though, like what you said is a good reminder for me because um, like I, I was taking some calls recently and I felt really rusty at juggling calls. And I think it's what you said about like, we really need to be trying to answer the majority of our calls. Um, and if, unless we're like incredibly concerned about this person's immediate safety, like we should be able to either put them on hold or end the call to switch over. Um, I've, I, and last, last time we did the podcast, we talked a lot about like the ego and I feel like sometimes when calls are going well and you're like, oh, this is really helpful for this person. Um, you don't want that to end because you feel like you're getting somewhere with the caller. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I, so it's like even harder to switch over, but I think it's been easy for me to like compartmentalize Well, I'm helping this person right now. So that other person, somebody else will help this other person, but then that's not necessarily true <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because it is our responsibility to answer for Kansas. Um, and when it goes past our center, it's going to be a long time before they get to talk to somebody most likely. Um, and so let's face it. We just do a really good job talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We'd rather they talk to us, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah, no. For lots of reasons, but one of them is because our uh, counselors are badass. <laughs> and so, yeah. And I, and I, you know, I say that and we laugh and stuff, but the, the reality is um, at every conference that we go to, and every time we talk to other centers, um, we sort of get a lot of questions about how we have such badass volunteers. <laughs> um, because headquarters has gotten a reputation for that, mm -hmm. um, for how amazing the volunteers are, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. And how amazing the training is too. Yeah. Which is also really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tra I mean, training's a good point because it's because call juggling is not something that you can necessarily learn you i mean you could learn it through role play it would just be challenging to to do so logistically um mm -hmm. and nothing like erica i'm glad you brought up like the idea of the relationship that forms when you're working with someone when, when you're focused on that one crisis that one person like you are invested like you, mm -hmm. you know you've been maybe you've been talking to this person for 45 minutes or an hour and to end that conversation without a sense of like closure. Yeah. To like have to rush. It's like having to say goodbye to someone you haven't seen in a long time, like really quickly. Yeah. Like you know, usually goodbye lasts like 45 minutes. You know? <laughs> Especially <laughs> in the Midwest. Yeah. You, you like go to the door, you hang out by the door for a little while. Then maybe you put on your shoes and then you're like, you know, you say goodbye once and then, you know. You walk out with them. An hour later. Yeah. <laughs> So it makes sense that, that people struggle with it. And um, it's important that we know like the responsibility and also know like some common ways to wrap up those conversations in a, in a compassionate way. Like, yeah, I think, go ahead, Jared. Sorry. I was just gonna say, we're, we're always operating from the place of compassion and I think it's important that, that we recognize that our callers are typically operating from that place too, like a, a place of understanding, mm -hmm. um, a place of reason, and saying something like, hey, I would really love to continue talking with you, and I have this other call coming in, so I need to put you on hold quickly to check mm -hmm. in with them, and then I'm going to I'm gonna touch base with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even like one thing that I that gives me comfort in having to end a call abruptly is to say like it's been really nice talking with you I, I can tell that you're feeling you know a little bit calmer um I am getting another call right now but I really hope that you call back if you need to um and just remembering that they chose to call in the first place and so and it seems like some most often it seems like they had a pretty good experience in calling and so they're likely to call again if they need to in the future um which it gives me some sense of comfort. Yeah, I think, I think the other thing too, that Jared said this when he was talking about people operating from a place of understanding, like people who are calling are calling because they need to talk to someone. They have done that. Like they're in, either in the process of doing that or if they've been doing it for a while. Um, they recognize that if somebody else is calling in, it is because they need to talk, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that the response that I have gotten from people for the most part, especially mm -hmm. um, callers that are calling for the first time, 
is, oh yeah, like please take that other call or like check in with them. Like it's this, this understanding of, yeah, other people need to talk, you know? I mean, that isn't true a hundred percent of the time because people are people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I really feel like the majority of the time people are like, yeah, do you know, you do you. Yeah. If, if, and it's like that, the sort of thing that you were saying, Erica, like the 40, if you've been talking to someone for 45 minutes, you really want to keep that going Mm -hmm. um, because you feel like you're helping them. The flip side of that is they recognize how much you've helped them. Yeah. And they want that for somebody else too. So that's not something I've, uh, I mean, I've definitely experienced people being really understanding and, and like, yes, we know that you need to help people please take the other call, but I've never really thought of it in that way, which is awesome. It's a good perspective. It is. And, and we'll probably weave in some other responses to this question of juggling calls. But one of the things that, that I guess we've alluded to is the idea of following up at whether that person is following up or whether we're deliberately following up with that person. Cause that's always an option too, mm-hmm. especially if this is someone that you know, you've either established rapport with or it's a regular caller. Mm-hmm. You can say, I need to end our call now and I'd like to follow up with you in, you know, half an hour or an hour, depending on how long this next call is is that okay? And just mm-hmm. getting a, a quick affirmation of that before mm-hmm. ending the call. Um, My go-to along that same lines was, uh, depending on, again, who I was talking to, right? Like, I think that's the caveat for all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, you know, I'm getting another call. Do you think that you could call back in 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I would depending on who, again, (laughs) we keep saying this, um, but sometimes I would give them the choice. I'm getting another call. Do you want me to put you on hold or do you want to call back? Um, And a lot of times, especially our um, experienced callers um, (laughs) would say, well, I'll just call you back. Cool. Perfect. Like, good. The reality is that the minute that phone starts ringing, you have to start talking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess like pre preempting the call with, with the expectation that, that I, I'm focused on you and I have a responsibility to, to answer other calls. Yeah. That's not actually something I've ever done on the phones. Um, but that is something that we've had to do on chat. Um, mm-hmm. even, I mean, we don't have to get into chat, but just it's a, I think it's it's a good to note you know that it's a little bit different on chat mm-hmm. and so we have to it's not really about like juggling because there's always somebody waiting on chat um, mm-hmm. but we do have to monitor like how long are we going to talk to this person so before we have to take the next chat um, because we don't want people I mean they're already waiting hours <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so being able to say like I'm gonna like we have about 15 minutes left and being able to set those limits I think it's just interesting to think about like what it means to juggle um, chats um, and how that's different from the phones. Yeah. Uh, and also the preemptive like, hey, we're having a lot of technical problems. Um, I just want you to know in case we get disconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that we're navigating right now too. Um, the next question 
which is related to follow-ups comes from a volunteer. And the question is, if I schedule a follow-up with a call with a caller, can I be the person who follows up with them? Mm-hmm. And maybe that, maybe that's taking place like during your shift, or maybe it's also taking place like, let's say the following day. Um, and you just happen to be on shift at the same time. What do you, what do you all think about that? I mean, or is the question like, can I schedule their follow-up for a time I know I'm going to be on shift? Mm, Yeah. Which is something I've certainly been tempted to do in the past. I think I have a couple of different responses to this. I think that we have to be careful in general um, that we are not training people to only talk to one person mm-hmm. um, because we're not therapists and we don't want to, we don't want to build a relationship with anyone, right? Like outside of our rapport building in the beginning when we're, when we're building a relationship on one call, mm-hmm. we don't want to build a long-term relationship with anyone. Mm-hmm. We don't want to make them dependent on only us. I know that we have a number of callers who have preferences, um, but those are our experienced callers. And that's kind of always been a thing. And when that happens, um, we work pretty hard to mitigate that as much as possible. So I do think that there have been times where I've taken a call early in a shift and then scheduled a call like a follow-up at the end of my shift because the nature of what was happening was serious enough that we needed to follow up that quickly mm-hmm. or because I was checking in on something that we had talked about. Like I'm going to go and I'm going to call my sister to be a support person uh, and then I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. Okay. Can I follow up with you in like three hours um, to make sure that those things happened? Mm-hmm. I, th- I tend to lean towards, um, I'm not going to be the one to follow up with you necessarily, but I want you to know that we've all been trained the mm-hmm. same way, that we're all really willing to talk to you, um, and it doesn't have to be me that follows up. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think because people ask, all, I mean, at least the, I think, I mean, this is, uh, happens a lot in my experience. Um, I feel like that was a very bragging thing to say, which I regret, but, um, people will say like, well, are you going to be the one to follow up with me? Can I talk to you again? Um, and I'm sure a lot of people get that, um, because of the way that we're trained. (laughs) Um, and like, that's always what I say to Kristen is like, it's, it's unlikely to be me. Um, there's really no way of knowing, but, we're all trained the same way. And I just sort of explained that um, we're all volunteers who really care and have our own like life experiences and are here because we want to like listen and um, support you and, and we all have the same training. So um, people respond pretty well to that. They, that eases some anxiety, I think. Making that distinction between rapport and relationship, I think is important. Um, like we can, we can develop rapport with callers and you know it's like this little mini relationship that we have with them but we're not establishing this this long-term relationship like because really we're, we're not equals like in this scenario or or in the 
as counselors and mm -hmm. as callers. Um, there's this Neil Young song. Um, it's a common one, Old Man. But it, there's a, a lyric, um, which is going to sound really harsh, but I, I, I remember this lyric. It doesn't mean that much to me to mean that much to you. I think it's a song, right, like, the sentiment sounds harsh on the surface, but <laughs> it's an important reminder, I think, for me. Like, I can, the service I've provided can mean a lot to this person. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And it's okay for them to not mean as much to me. And part of that like distance that I'm creating is, I mean, it's related to compartmentalization, right? It's related to yeah. what we talked Boundary about. Boundary setting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm creating distance in my mind to preserve like my own sense of self and stability. Um, which it, that, that approach is probably not without its risks. Um, and as we've talked about, like cutting yourself off from <clears throat> connecting with people mm -hmm. can, can be damaging. But, um, I think about that in relation to, um, the, the rapport and the relationship that we have with callers. Yeah. I think about it in like, in like, so even just that lyric, like I think about that as like someone is built and I, I'm curious what Kristen thinks about this perspective too. Um, like someone is building a relationship with headquarters, not with me personally, um, mm -hmm. because headquarters is the one that trains us and is, is the entity that, you know, we all serve for <laughs> or under. And I think that, um, though, even that lyric, Jared, I interpreted it as like, I don't need the caller. I don't need the caller to feel like, to, to feel connected to me personally. I want them to feel connected to the service itself. Um, so that, so that they can rely, not rely on it, like as, as they, as someone would rely on therapy, but in a moment of crisis, they would be willing to use it again, um, regardless of who I am or what my role is at headquarters. It's sort of that thing that we talk about with like employees, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, the headquarters is not just one person. It's a, it's sort of its own like organic living thing <clears throat> and amazing people come and go within that but it can't just be it, it one person can't put it on their back and walk it around mm -hmm. um because of how much everybody invests you know, all of the volunteers, all of the staff, all of our callers, like everybody invests. And I, yeah, I think that's a really good perspective, Erica, is the idea that they're building a relationship with headquarters and not us individually. Um, and that headquarters, like, just in general, kind of lives beyond the, the one, the individuality, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, yeah. and I, I think that we, that it can be really important to have that, that perspective, Jared, that <clears throat> you were kind of talking about, both for callers who sort of become enamored with the, the, the way that we have talked to them, um, which in some cases, is maybe about the fact that they have been validated for the first time in ever 
um, that someone has said to them, I can hear that you're feeling pain um, and you don't deserve that. They're like, well, now I love you because no one's ever been this nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that that goes, that that's true for people who are really angry, right? Like if it isn't about us individually on that call, then, and, and you can look through that lens, um, then it is less likely to be taken personally when somebody is angry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah we really went beyond uh, the uh, basic question <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. I just want, I just want to say one more thing on this topic because I think it's really cute. Um, (laughs) When you were talking about how HQ is not about like one individual person, it's its own thing. It's like, it just like stretches. Um, Mm -hmm. Jared, do you remember when we used to walk down the streets of downtown Lawrence and be like, oh, he's HQ. Oh, she's HQ. They're HQ. (laughs) Right. It's, yeah, it's like, it's like a quality that you can't quite put your finger on, but it is there. Yeah, I think yeah. I've been in drive-throughs, and, and somebody was saying like the way that they were talking to me when I pulled up or whatever. I've had that thought. Like, would you I, like to come to headquarters and be a volunteer? Dude, I I feel like my re- recruitment efforts should be like based in the service industry. Like, especially uh-huh. right now, like yes. folks folks in the service industry don't have uh, a lot of paying jobs. Maybe we can maybe we can recruit them. Uh, <laughs> And pay them to be counselors because there's so many times you you encounter like uh you know a waiter at a restaurant and you're just like yep they would be so good on the phones like listen uh-huh. to that listen to that tone of voice and just like <laughs> clear communication yeah. uh that's really funny and yeah you're right it was really cute <laughs> <laughs> i uh the caveat, I think, to everything that we have been saying as far as scheduling, I think that there are rare times where we, like, I think more about teenagers, um, where it can be really hard to establish rapport. And so there may be a time where you're talking to a teenager, it has gone really well, um, and it feels like it's important to follow up with them. I, I like I said, I think that there are exceptions, uh, but they have to be very rare and they have to be very intentional because you're not going to continue to do a follow-up thing. Yeah. Erica's I, so excited to say something. I know. I just, I feel so validated because like I always am questioning my boundaries, which I think is a good thing, but also I'm always insecure about in my boundary list, which I'm not. Um, but, but like I remember being on the phones and my shit, like I was so like, I could connect with teenagers so easily because that's when I experienced most of my trauma. <laughs> um, and so I like, there were times where I was like, yes, I will follow up with you. Like, you know, this kid who's <laughs> taken like horse tranquilizers to, you know, try to die. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like, okay, yeah, yep. You, this went really well. You, you, um, you trust me like in my head you know and i and i have been especially because i was on the phones like multiple times a week mm-hmm. um, at the time like it was not it was not hard for me to be the one to follow up with that person but he was a teenager he was 15. um so i just remember like that's a caller that sticks with me that i talked to multiple times um not always because i scheduled a follow-up but just because i happened to be on shift when he would call mm-hmm. uh, because i was on shift a lot i was an intern so <laughs> um 
but yeah, but that was validating. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. <laughs> I, uh, I frequently tell this story, um, and I, I, because that's, this is not, like, the majority of the story is not what we're talking about. Um, I'll just tell the end of it, but I had a caller who was really angry and really mean, but also really suicidal, and so I weighed um, kind of that, like, mean with the fact that they were really suicidal, and because mean is pretty um, easy for me to just let roll, then I decided to stick with it and gave the caller feedback a couple of times about like, look, like this isn't, um, this isn't me, like you're not. Um, and so the whole call felt like a battle, right? Like um, just me trying to do an intervention and navigate how angry and mean they were. Um, and I, I got off the phone and I was just like, oh, and frustrated and, um, but, and gosh, that call was like an hour and an hour and a half. <laughs> but later that night, um, they called back and somebody else answered the phone and they just wanted to know, like, they just wanted to tell the person that answered the phone, like, how meaningful that conversation with Kristen was and how much they got out of it. And like, that feedback was in the log and I was like, what? Like, that is not how I experienced that as being grateful. So flash forward to one week later when I was on shift at the same time on the same day, the phone rang, I answered, and the person on the other end was my caller who said, well, this is just a conspiracy. And I was like, what? what? Apparently, you're the only one who answers the phone on this line. <laughs> so does it just come, what, directly into your bedroom and you just tell everyone it's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline? Oh my goodness. And I was like, Nope. <laughs> I'm here four hours a week. I'm sorry that you got me again. Well, I don't want to talk to you again. Okay. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, it's a conspiracy. That's fun. So, that, you know. I feel like that story highlights the uh, don't take it personally point. Right oh, there. yeah. <laughs> that uh, the the reason that I usually tell that story is because we talk because um, it's an example of like uh, self disclosure that that mm -hmm. goes wrong. So yeah, mm -hmm. if we have a question about self disclosure, then I'll tell the rest of that story. <laughs> she, oh, she was so mean. <laughs> <laughs> But I was most salty. Like out of all of that stuff, I was most salty about the call saying how meaningful our call was. Like the call to somebody else saying how much they got out of our call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> you did not like me. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh man. Well, um following up, I guess we hit on it to some extent. You can follow up with people and be aware of your boundaries. Um, Simply don't. Think, sometimes it's okay. Yeah, sometimes it's okay. Yeah. We um, don't, yeah. <laughs> with follow-ups, we, we may recognize, like, 
a person has a need for additional support outside of headquarters. <laughs> so this question's related to that um, and is a topic. Segway. Thank you. Uh -huh. I'm working on my segues. <laughs> Great, Jared. Um, and I think it's one that we also struggle with because um, like having an understanding of our mental health system it, like is something that requires like a, a course, I feel like, because it's it true. Be incredibly complex. And that's just in our state. Mm -hmm. um, so the question from a volunteer is, how do you refer someone for short or long-term mental health services? Hmm. Uh, I don't I, Maybe we have to start by like establishing what's what what can a person expect from short-term mental health services, acute mental health services, inpatient mental health services. Like there's all these kind of varying levels of care. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I and I feel like it is not a timeless answer right like we can't answer it now and have it even be relevant like six months from now because right. one of the things that's that we're trying to establish in douglas county is a mobile crisis response team um and that will change the face of mental health in douglas county mm -hmm. um when i worked at the state psychiatric hospital um that looked very different our mental health system in kansas looked very different than it does now. Mm -hmm. We had far more inpatient beds, especially on an um, involuntary basis than we do now. Um, so yeah, that it's a hard question to navigate. And so thus, the resource, trying to figure out how to um, connect somebody to resources is really hard to navigate. So that's a really good question. I also feel like it's a really complex question. Mm -hmm. um, but Jared, you haven't been out of your position at Burton Ash for very long. Mm -hmm. um, do you kind of want to talk about if somebody, so let's say that we have a caller and we they're really struggling. Uh, it's after hours, so we refer them to the emergency department. Mm -hmm. So what's the process, like, pretty quickly, if that, mm -hmm. if it's after hours and they go to the ED? Right, yeah. Um, when we're referring someone to the emergency room, but first of all, I think it's important that people know that the emergency room is a safe place that you can go. Like, if, if you feel like yeah. you need a safe environment, it is totally an option. Um, and, and I know the, like the COVID caveat here, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to go there. You know, if, if you need a safe place, the emergency no. room is, is there and you can access it. Um, so when you, when you show up, you know, you can expect the person is, is then going to have to disclose like, you know, what are you experiencing? Um, and so that's going to include letting the front desk people know, the, the tech technicians at the, at the front window, you're gonna have to let them know, um, you know, I'm experiencing a mental health crisis, I'm experiencing suicidal thoughts, I'm experiencing anxiety. Um, once you inform them, then you'll be asked to um, like do kind of the check-in procedures and then you'll wait in the waiting room. And then typically behavioral health um, 
crises are addressed rather quickly. Um, they want folks to get access to care um, and like a safe place and a comfortable place quickly because um, they know that sitting in, in like a waiting room when you're experiencing those intense emotional and mental health symptoms can be rather challenging. Mm -hmm. So you'll, you'll then go through triage where you'll meet with a technician and probably a nurse. Um, you won't likely meet with a doctor until after you've um, gone into a room. And, you know, once, when, you're, when you're meeting with the nurse and the technician, they're going to be doing like a physical health check. So they're going to go through all the, all the stuff that would be typical of any emergency room visit just to establish that you're physically um, well. And, and that way they know whether to treat you for any physical conditions. And then they're gonna take you to um, a section of the emergency room that is specifically for behavioral health and mental health crises. Um, so those rooms are um, less hospital-like. You know, there's, there's, there's fewer um, like machines and things of that nature. Um, it's kind of, a, I, I probably won't do a good job like describing the layout. Maybe that's not so important, but I think it is helpful for people to know like what, what's the space actually look, up, look like. It sounds like what you're saying is it's more trauma informed than a, it's more comfortable than it, a typical yeah. hospital. Yeah, it, it is more comfortable. You know, there, there's a bed, there's a, um, a reclining chair, you have your own room, um, and then the, the nursing staff and technicians are available very readily. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's different safety measures in the rooms to make them physically safe because people are obviously coming in, maybe experiencing severe symptoms of a mental health condition or experiencing intense suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you can expect the environment to look pretty sterile, but um, you know, to also appear like there are safety measures taken to make the furniture safe, to make the doors safe, mm -hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. And then you can expect to meet with um, the doctor at some point during your visit, um, the mental health provider on staff. So the social worker is going to meet with you. They're going to do a mental health evaluation. Um, they're going to provide some brief intervention and support. You may encounter peer support um, who will also be there to provide like listening and, and just physical support. So that's kind of a long-winded answer. But is that, Jared, is that true across the state or is that specifically referring to Douglas County? Yeah, I, I am talking from my experience specifically in Douglas County. Um, so it can look really different if you're in a different community in Kansas or you're in Western Kansas, the, the type of care that you can receive, the philosophy of care can be different. Um, as we know, like mental health crises are addressed sometimes in ways that we can very easily call out as problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess I'm just speaking from our county, Douglas County's experience. Uh, yeah, that's good. I just, I just wanted to make sure that people know, like, yeah. we can't say exactly what you'll experience, but this is how it happens where we live. Right. So I get, you know, that, that does kind of encompass like what the acute mental health crisis looks like at the emergency room. You know, in addition to that, folks, if they're not comfortable going to the, the ER, maybe their crisis doesn't warrant an ER visit. Um, they can meet with a crisis clinician at Burt Nash in person or, you know, via televideo if, mm -hmm. if we're talking COVID. Um, and that's going to be someone who is going to engage them in some 
supportive counseling, brief intervention, safety planning, like that kind of service is available mm -hmm. during business hours. And if you, so if you're talking to somebody who's not in Lawrence, you can, you can ask them if they're willing to share what county they live in. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can just Google like the mental health, the community mental health center closest to that county. Um, and I think starting at a community mental health center is always a good place to start because even if they're not able to help this person immediately, they might have, they might have connections to who could. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, we're fortunate in Douglas County to have like our own community mental health center. Um, many counties out West, you know, there's, there's large swaths of Kansas that mm -hmm. are covered by a single community mental health center. So, you know, your, your drive distance could be pretty extensive. Mm -hmm. So maybe the next scenario, um, unless anyone has any like follow-up questions or comments related to that, maybe the next scenario is maybe for someone who's like, you know, I'm, I'm safe for now. Um, but I want to, I want to get a therapist. Like I need, I need some type of ongoing support. What does that look like? Um, so I, I created a document for our, ch our chat manual that I think is pretty relevant to the call room too. Um, where, because we don't know, like, because in the call room, we take calls from all over Kansas and we are, aren't, we're not familiar with every single community. And on chat, we take chats from all over the country. Um, and we certainly aren't familiar with every community in the country. Um, there are some resources online if a person has access to a computer. Um, so always like referring them to a local mental health center. And I have a, um, like a directory for mental health centers across the country. Um, so you can, if you know that person's county, you can look that up, county and state, you could look that up. Um, and then uh, there's also, there, there's websites like Psychology Today or Open Counseling or Open Path Collective, BetterHelp, all of these different things where um, you can type in your zip code and you can read profiles from therapists who, um, are on there. Some of some of the therapists on Psychology Today are definitely require insurance. Some of the Open Path or Open Counseling website um, is a little bit more affordable and um, accessible to people with low income or no insurance. Um, but and then if somebody if somebody definitely doesn't have um, insurance or an ability to pay, I would I would refer to like the local community mental health center. Um, just so that because they would know more options for affordable care. Um, so I always give those, if it's on chat, we send links and explain like how to, how to use the links. Um, and if, if I'm on the phone, I have people get out a pen and a paper and write, write those websites down so that they can, because I think there's a lot of power in reading the profile of the therapist you might see and choosing what feels like a good fit for you. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't want to be in the business of recommending anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I don't want us to be like a filter into anybody's private practice. Um, and I don't, yeah, I just don't want to recommend anybody because if they have a terrible experience, um, then... <laughs> We don't want to be the ones who are like, here, go this, you know, I mean, 
without knowing what we're recommending or what specifically style of therapist would be best for that person. Mm -hmm. I think having something like Psych Today is really great. Um, we do have a clinic at headquarters that is open and from, I mean, for, for new, it's open for new clients um, between like September 1st and the end of April. That said, I would prefer that we talk about that um, if someone asks specifically if we do therapy. So the answer is yes, we do. Um, and here is Kristen's email address, not her cell phone, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> we don't give out Kristen's cell phone. Um, and, you know, most of our rules are there for a reason <laughs> or, or get set out loud for a reason. Anyway, um, but my email address and our email address has just recently got shorter. So it's much easier to do that. Um, but otherwise, again, I don't want us to be a filter for like our callers and being like, well, you could go to the clinic. Um, so mm -hmm. let people ask specifically. But yeah, I think like you said, Erica, the, the act of reading profiles can mm -hmm. be really empowering. Mm -hmm. um, I, get, I guess the other area, moving forward a little bit, the other area that we might receive questions about um, or a person might, might say, how can I get referred for inpatient care? Um, you know, the, the emergency room is a pathway to inpatient care if it's, if it's warranted. I also think like part of this conversation is, is educating people about what inpatient care looks like in today's day, day and age. Um, because long are gone, like the days of, you know, going to a mental health facility and receiving inpatient care for a period of weeks and months. Like, Unless you privately pay right. out the nose, mm -hmm. um, whether your insurance pays or you pay or whatever, because there are treatment programs are where you can go and get long-term care. Mm -hmm. But the, the vast majority of the things that we would be talking to our callers about, yeah, we're looking at what, what's the average, 72 hours? Yeah, three to five days is yeah. the average inpatient stay in our area. And, you know, that, that comes from a place of le this, this concept of least restrictive environment. The idea that people are better um, when they're in their, their homes, when they're in their communities, when, they're, when they have access to services on an outpatient basis. Um, you know, that, that's motivated by cost, but it's, it's also motivated by... Um, you know, evidence that, that people do better when they have access to their natural supports um, mm -hmm. and that those natural supports become integrated into their lifestyles. So, you know, people, when they, when they enter inpatient care, it, it's really for stabilization. You know, it's they're going to be addressing the, the most acute symptoms or, you know, maybe addressing the safety issues related to suicide. And then Jared, that person- will you, sorry, will you explain acute system? Uh, symptoms because I don't know oh. that everybody knows what that means I, I think acute symptoms can can look like severe anxiety um, it can look like 
if, if we're talking about other severe mental health conditions like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, it might look like delusional thinking or manic symptoms or um, paranoia. And then if we're talking, you know, maybe more in the spectrum of depression and suicide and anxiety, then, then it may be serious suicidal thoughts with a plan and with intent to carry out that plan. Um, those would be kind of considered acute experiences and symptoms. Thanks. Didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I think it's helpful to think about. And yeah, you know, people should be educated. People should be educated enough to make an informed decision about like, is inpatient care right for me right now? Um, or can I explore other treatment options? Like, I always want to send the message that like treatment is available if you need it. And we have levels of care to meet your needs um, that are hopefully accessible in your community. Um, and having the right information or having at least a, a picture of the information might make that decision more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I also think it's important that like, like that counselors know, we don't expect them to have a full understanding of all of these mental health systems. Right. Um, and like that we can empower callers to use their supports to figure out what's available for them too, depending on, you know, depending on the situation. So like if someone has questions about the hospital, I have often said like, you can call your hospital and ask questions about that process because it's different um, depending on where you are. Mm. Um, and so you know, that it, depending on like how acute that person is and what level of crisis they're experiencing, um, you know, if they have the capacity to do that, that's also a possibility. Right. Um, this is a good reminder that an upcoming podcast that we will do um, is one specifically around mental health. Um, I, I think that Well, I have gotten questions before about um, what do we mean by like mental health? What do we mean by diagnosis? What do these things mean? Um, and so, yeah, I think an, an upcoming podcast that y'all should look forward to is just like a deep dive into um, severe and persistent mental illness and like the different things that our callers might be experiencing. Um, you know, it, we, we won't turn it into a practice class um, where you're going to be diagnosing people at the end but it can be really helpful to understand sometimes what's happening for our callers um, like when we talk about you know uh, our our callers having delusions what does that really mean mm -hmm. and that kind of thing mm -hmm. so I, I think the last thing that I want to say about hospitalization um, is that in my experience working in a hospital um, especially a state psychiatric hospital. And we have two of those right now. We have OSH and we have Larned. Um, it can be traumatizing to be in the hospital. Um, especially if there isn't a lot of separation between someone who comes in who's incredibly depressed and having suicidal thoughts and somebody who comes in and is having active hallucinations. Um, it's, a, it's 
two different things are happening there and it can be overwhelming and traumatizing and scary um, it can be really also meaningful um, and a really positive experience but I, th I think that we need to be cognizant that um, it can be an intense place and right now because of the bed shortage in Kansas uh, it, they're constantly at capacity and so it isn't like you'll get a you'll go in and get a like peaceful experience of being the only person on a unit <laughs> so units are full I guess one one point of clarity in addition to like those state psychiatric hospitals there are a number of private hospitals in our area not not Douglas County actually but in in Shawnee County um, Topeka area Kansas City area there are private facilities that accept um, a, a variety of insurances so with varying uh, varying uh, levels of capacity so again highlighting how complex our mental health system is so mm -hmm. um, well we, we've answered kind of like three three questions we've I, I don't know I feel like we've gone in some interesting directions and had some some good ideas about future topics um, is there anything any final thoughts that you all have for our volunteers related to to questions. Keep sending them. Keep sending them. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. To, oh, you're muted, Kristen. I think that um, stuff comes up all the time, right? Like that it is, um, somebody asked why our training is so long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this this is why uh, we really end yeah <laughs> because we we love to talk you guys like why wouldn't it be long um, <laughs> but <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff to cover and it and we cannot possibly get in every scenario um, and train on everything uh, which is one of the reasons why observation shifts are so important and even then um, stuff is gonna come up and so as that happens, email us, utilize the group me to ask those questions, because I think that they get answered really well in the group me, but it's also, um, it gives us stuff to talk about further. Um, because if you have a question, it is likely that other people have that same question, right? Yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of nuance. And the more we kind of discuss those complexities and nuances, I think the better, the better we learn and the better we understand what it is that we're doing. And we're, you know, I think the, the reminder is that while we're absorbing information and learning, like we're always operating from this place of, you know, what's our role? What's our responsibility? Um, how can we clearly define that so that some of these things are a little bit easier to navigate? And yeah, what's, what is best practice? Right. Um, and I think too that we, that sometimes the longer you're on the phone, the more you get into your own habits mm -hmm. and sort of your own practices. And it's nice to be reminded of things. Um, I definitely think things like go in trends in the phone room. Um, so yeah, the juggling calls thing comes up a lot because it isn't an easy skill. Um, and it feels distressing to put somebody on hold like we're not doing our job um, or we're doing it wrong or something. We don't want to, we don't want to triage calls. Mm -hmm. I used to 
bottlenecks of calls when I was on shift by myself, when we could toggle and turn on and off lines, I would make it so that only one line could ring, like one local line could ring, so that I didn't experience having five lines ring at once mm -hmm. and having to be like, hello, headquarters counseling center, please hold. Hello, headquarters counseling center, please hold. Like, you know, but as soon as I figured out, like within five to 10 minutes of that call, what was happening, I'd turn on another line so that it could ring through. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it isn't, it isn't easy to do. It's well, just important. Kristen and Erica, I really want to keep talking to you, but right now I just, I just need to leave. <laughs> and I need, I need to end this podcast. <laughs> oh my, God, my anxiety got so high. I was like, what do you mean? You, you can't leave in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> I, I, um, I'm going to end the podcast because I, I need to move on to something else. Okay. All right. But, but I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you again next week. Well, yeah, I'd like that very much. And Jared, I really understand your need to, to leave. Um, cool. I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us. Thanks for, thanks for understanding. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye everybody. See ya.